Lots of righteousness tends to belong So keep your love on, on Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we learn how to simply walk with God in all His awesome love, incredible power, and authority. It's straightforward, and it's straight from the Word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org. That includes free Bible studies and an amazing free video series, all there to answer your questions, build your faith, and of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us by going to getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode here, so let's go. Let it shine bright, 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 keep your love. So, how do we walk as members of the body of Christ? When we've had an introduction to the body of Christ, and, you know, we have an understanding of what the expectations are, we also need to know how to go about it. And to even begin to walk as members of the body of Christ, uh, we do have to fulfill some prerequisites. There's actually prerequisites to this. And they're summarized in Acts 2.38. And, you know, anyone that's been in this particular ministry for any length of time knows this verse very well. And this is Peter preaching to the people in Jerusalem. And he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So there's three things here. First of all, he says to repent. In other words, that means to think differently or to reconsider one's ways, to change our mind. That's really the first step in embarking on a Christian walk when you're coming out of the world, is having that reconsideration of of our ways and what we've been doing and having that honest desire to uh, change things for the better, to recognize there's something wrong and change things for the better. So when there's been that change in the mind, then there's an act that's committed to uh, basically seal the deal as far as the spiritual goes. And that's that baptism. Now, this isn't a sprinkling or anything like that. This is a full immersion in water under holy hands. And it's very important what type of spirit a soul is being baptized under. They're not baptized into a church or a particular doctrine or indoctrination of man. It is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth for the remission of sins. And there is to be that declaration over that soul when they go down in the water. That full immersion, there there isn't a spiritual significance to that. I won't go into it in too much depth right now for the sake of time, but it is important to be fully covered by that water when you go down under. So anyway, when you've repented and you've been baptized properly, those two things wipe our slate clean and prepare us to be vessels that are suitable in God's eyes for holding His Spirit, for holding the Holy Ghost within us. And that's the third thing. We repent, we've been baptized, then we receive the the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And that's a gift that's given by God. That's not something we can take of our own power, of our own will. 
It's something freely given by the grace of God. Now, once we've been filled with the Holy Ghost, it then becomes our responsibility to maintain our own souls in this new and purified state. So how do we go about that? We've fulfilled the prerequisites. We're now embarking on this walk as a member of the body of Christ. Well, first, we have to come to a significant and often overlooked realization. And that realization is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says this, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? It's quite a statement. When we have begun in the new life in Christ, we are no longer our own. We no longer belong to ourselves to do as we will. We belong to God to do his will. That's actually the purpose of receiving that gift that God has given us, to do his will with it, not our own. We're to follow that example that Jesus set for us. You know, when he prayed in that garden of Gethsemane, as he was about to enter into that passion, you know, he prayed to the Father that that cup might be removed from him. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And, you know, he suffered greatly in that, in the flesh. But he did it. And why did he do it? Verse 20, for you are bought with a price. Jesus paid that price for all of us. When he went to the cross and he suffered the things that he did, when he went down into the nether parts of the earth and rose again, that resurrection was part of that. He did that for us. So we're not our own. We're bought with that price that he paid. Therefore, glorify God, praise God, honor God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It all belongs to him anyway. So give him the praise and the honor and the glory. How do we do that? Well, it says here, we do it in our body. In other words, that's through our physical words and our physical actions. We praise and honor God through those things. It's also in our spirit, our inner thoughts and our inner intentions. God sees and hears all that too. So we praise him and honor him through those things as well when we do it right. See, the natural, the things in the natural or the physical are a reflection of the spiritual. And what manifests in the natural is a demonstration of spiritual influences behind them. The natural manifests the spiritual. So our thoughts will get manifested in our words. Our intentions get manifested in our actions. There's a spiritual side and there's a natural side. And we're to glorify and honor God in all of it. So when we have this first realization that we now belong to God to do his will, there's a second realization, which is also often overlooked, that comes with it. And that one is in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Again, that's quite a statement. See, there's a line being drawn here. It's one or the other. It's not both. The realization here is that when we belong to God, we are now separated out from the world and are to keep ourselves separated from worldly behaviors. It's not for us. If we are members of the Lord's body, then we drink of the Lord's cup and partake of the Lord's table. In other words, his word, his spirit. 
his fellowship. We are to be careful of what we take into our mind, what we are looking at, what we are listening to, and what we are associating with, you know, what we're hanging around with. You are what you eat. This is a natural proverb that actually happens to be true, physically true. You are, you are what you eat. Those atoms and molecules that you take in to ingest, that's what makes up your physical body. Well, that natural proverb is also true spiritually. What is going into our mind and our heart, that's what gets, gets digested by us spiritually. And that's what will come out in our words and actions if we let it sink in and influence us and become part of us. Jesus said this, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. That's John 6, 56. So when we're taking the Lord and the things of the Lord into us and digesting them, that's what's going to come out of us. Yeah. Now, what John, Jesus said here in John 6 has to be spiritually discerned because he had 70 of his followers that discerned this with their own natural reasonings and their own natural mind. They thought he was actually talking about cannibalism, which is actually not at all what he was talking about. But they, they heard it by their natural minds. They got offended by it and they left him because they did not discern this spiritually. Now, the Lord wanted me to mention this other thing here too. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but in Mark 7, Jesus did talk about things entering a man and that whatsoever enters a man cannot defile him. But if you read that whole section in Mark 7, you, it's clear that he's talking about what's eaten or drank physically. He was talking about what goes into the belly and goes out through the draft, purging all meats, you know, eating, eating and drinking food and water and drink. He was not talking about spiritual matters in that context. He was, he was dealing with religious spirits and he was explaining some things to them. Spirits can and do enter people's hearts and minds to defile them. That's why we are to be careful what we're looking at, what we're listening to, and what we're associating with. Yeah. Again, what Jesus said in Mark 7 has to be spiritually discerned. Let's continue here in uh, Corinthians 10, verse 22. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You know, talking about her playing both sides. Well, the Lord is already jealous over us, and he needs no provocation. So, I mean, anything we can do to provoke him or, you know, make him jealous, I mean, he's already well above and beyond that. We already belong to him as strongly and intimately as the bond of marriage. Yeah, and when we're, we're part of that body of Christ, yeah, we are married to him. Now, Paul says something here in verse 23. This verse, uh, it's a doozy. We're going to dig into this one a bit. All things are lawful or right for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful or right for me, but all things edify not. Now, at first glance... We could read this as, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is expedient or edifies. How does that actually hit you? I have the right to do anything, but not everything is expedient or edifies. Well, this is actually a very worldly mindset. It's kind of along the same line as, do what feels good as long as you don't hurt anyone. That interpretation of this verse. 
This has to be read carefully and by the Spirit. This term, all things, uh, it appears throughout the New Testament, you know, at least 150 times in various chapters and verses. And it's clear from its use in a number of the scriptures, including this one, that all things does not always carry its literal meaning. It's not literally everything. Its actual meaning is often implied by the context that it's used in. You have to read the entire verse and discern it spiritually, in other words. When Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, through Christ which strengtheneth me, did he literally mean everything? Like, I can sin through Christ who strengtheneth me? No, of course not. When he wrote that charity believeth all things, did he mean that chari Christian charity believes lies of the devil? No, of course not. No, there's a context to it. All things here in verse 23 is referring to all things that Paul would permit himself to do in good conscience as a spirit-filled, God-fearing Christian. There are parameters on it. Now, if we look at this verse a little more carefully, the way it's worded also gives it a slightly different meaning than what we might read at that first glance. That first uh, quick glance by the natural mind would say, oh, I can do anything but not everything's expedient. I can do anything, but not everything edifies. Look at where that word not is located. It doesn't say not all things are expedient. It says all things are not expedient. In other words, the very same things that are lawful are also the very same things that are not expedient and don't edify. Yeah, I see some nodding heads. Good. So a better way to read this would be Regarding the things I am allowed to do, they are not always expedient and they do not always edify, even though I am allowed to do them. Yeah. See the difference? You know, this can apply to our habits, our hobbies, our personal preferences, you know, even our daily schedules, you know, how we go about our lives. Yeah. We actually have, you know, um, a very gracious and large parameter that God allows us to operate in, operate in. He's actually very generous with us. But again, it's not always expedient and doesn't always edify, even though we may have you know, a right to do things. So properly understanding this verse here, in other words, interpreting it by the Holy Ghost and not our own natural reasonings, it's important because it goes beyond simply keeping ourselves separate from the world. And it brings us into a deeper understanding of our roles as members within the body of Christ. What are we actually here for? Well, what is expedient? To be expedient is to bear together, to contribute, to be good, to be profitable, to bear together. You know, as one elder used to say many times, many hands make light work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we work together. There's a unity there. And there's a help for one, one for another there. Yeah. To edify means to be a house builder, to construct, to confirm, to build up or embolden. Yeah. See how the focus is off of oneself and it's on the needs of others? Yeah. Yeah. That's what Paul was getting at here. It's not about what we can do for ourselves, what we're allowed to do for ourselves. It's 
What does God have for us to do for one another? Yeah. Build the church, support the weak, minister to the widows and the fatherless. Yeah. Yeah. Perform the ministry that God has given to each and every one of us to do. So those two things, to be expedient and to edify, those are significant parts of the fivefold ministry. It's not all of it, but it's a big part of it. That fivefold ministry, uh, I just wanted to mention it briefly because it is very important. It's outlined in Ephesians 4. But it is, that fivefold ministry is absolutely necessary in order to complete our spiritual salvation. But today the focus is on our individual responsibilities as members of the body. So I'm not going to go into too much depth on that, but I did want to mention it. So in short, our new life in Christ is not intended for us to serve ourselves. That's basically it in a nutshell. As Paul says in verse 24 here, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth, another's good, another's benefit. Now I'm going to get into some other things here. Paul here in uh, this chapter of 1 Corinthians, he was actually writing about partaking in things that were sacrificed to idols. That's the context of these verses that I, I pulled up here. And he was giving instruction to the church on how to properly handle that issue. Because the Corinthians, they, were, they came out of a very idolatrous background, and they were used to all those um, heathen feasts and the pagan gods and all, all the rest of it that went with that. And he was bringing them out from under that. So he had to give them instruction on these things. Now, this idolatry thing is very significant. This is the reason why verse 23 should be read very carefully. You can make an idol out of absolutely anything. You can make it out of an idol out of things. You can make an idol out of people. You can make an idol out of activities, you know, those hobbies and stuff. You can make an idol out of knowledge, you know, a lust for knowledge, just for the sake of knowledge. You can make an idol out of that. Yeah. Anything, you know. There's some pretty stupid stuff out there people make idols out of. Hot dog eating contests. Yeah. That's a chief idol of some people. Just for one silly example. Mm -hmm. So what's an idol? An idol is something that takes the foremost place in our heart and in our mind. Ahead of the Lord. Idolatry, idol worship, is the breaking of the first, the very first of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's Exodus 20, verse 3. If we're wondering about uh, maybe our spiritual state in uh, regards to this, here's a good question to pose to ourselves. What are we putting our time into? What am I putting my time into? Here's another good question. What are we thinking about? What am I thinking about? Those are two very good questions to pose to ourselves to you know, kind of help measure where we're actually at here. Now, is, it in, is our time being put into the things of the Lord or is it caught up with everything else? Is our mind focused on the things of the world or what we're doing to please ourselves or is it on the things of the Lord? Yeah. You know, when we do have uh, a life and we do have things we have to maintain in this life as far as the natural goes. But that's not our primary focus here. Because when we're the Lord's, we're here for the Lord and for his purposes. Let's go over to Colossians 3. We'll start in verse 1. If, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, 
where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That word if is significant here. It's actually a qualifier. If you then be risen with Christ is a qualifier for everything else that's written here that we're going to go through. If you then be risen with Christ, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That's critical. What is our affection? Affection is to exercise the mind. In other words, to be mentally disposed in a certain direction, to interest oneself in something, to regard or to think on things. Yeah. So what are we to set our affection on? What are we to exercise our mind in? On things above, not on things of the earth. This is all temporary anyway, folks. Mm -hmm. I remember Brother Bob giving a warning to the people. When the blessings come, and they will come, do not set your heart on them. Because if you do, that's idolatry. And he was quoting Psalm 62.10. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Yeah, it was scripture. For you are dead to the world, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Again, this promise is conditional. That qualifier of verse 1 applies here too. If you then be risen with Christ, you've actually taken it on, yeah, then you'll appear there with him in glory. This is something we have to uh, you know, work at and make sure we get to where we need to go. It's not a one-done slapdash guarantee. We punched our ticket and that's it. The Lord actually gave me a bit of an allegory for that a while back. He gave us the plane ticket you know, when he went to the cross and made the way for us to access God and get to where he is. He gave us the plane ticket, but it is our responsibility to get to the airport and get on the plane. You know, if you want to look at it that way. And I'll underline that with a couple of personal experiences of my own. Quite sobering, actually. I have left this body twice in my life. Once I went up and once I went down. I'll describe going down first. I'll say, I'll say this first. The habitation of outer darkness is reserved for those who have known the light and have willingly chosen to walk away from it. Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 25. You can read those for yourselves where it's mentioned. There was a time in my life when I was very isolated from the body. I was spiritually depleted and, you know, basically walking the course of the world. You know, even though I was born and raised in this ministry. You know, I didn't go to the full extent of sin that others were doing around me. I knew better than that. But I was still very spiritually depleted. And I knew it. And I was in a hotel room one night. Wasn't fully asleep. I was just kind of dozing, I guess. Kind of asleep. And... My spirit got pulled out of my body. I was drug out by my heels. I went down. And I got pulled over the edge of that abyss. Pitch black darkness. Sliding along the stone. It was smooth. There's nothing to grab onto. Nothing to hold onto. No way to stop it or slow it down. I just got drug out by my heels and over the edge into pitch darkness. And then I woke up and my body came, my spirit came back in. 
You do not want to go there. It's not the same as hellfire, but it's still a type of hell. Pitch black darkness. Yeah. I could feel the depth of that thing underneath me as I was going over. Bottomless, you bet. Yeah. Don't go there, please. Yeah. And I was technically still in the ministry. Now, the other time, I was uh, quite a bit younger then, and um, I'd actually had my heart broken, and basically I was done with this life. And I remember laying on my bed, and I just said, Lord, I just want out of here. Just get me out of here. And so he did. Again, it was, you know, in my sleep, and I departed out of this body. I went up. Completely different feeling. You know, if you take a, if you take a tablecloth or something similar, lay it out over a table, if you grab the middle of it and just kind of pull it up, straight up, you see how the edges kind of draw in and it just kind of follows up to that point that's being drawn from? That's kind of what it felt like. You're just being drawn up out of your body. It kind of goes through your mouth and your face and just kind of draws up out of, out of me. That, that's how I felt it anyway. And you could feel the, I could feel the spirit drawing out of my extremities from my fingertips and my toes in towards the middle of my body and then just pulled up. That's what it felt like having my spirit drawn out. And then once I was out of this body, it was so glorious. There was no weight. This flesh is very, very heavy. There was such a beautiful weightlessness. And I was like this big ball of joy. You know, I just wanted to whoop and, you know, just shout with this exceeding joy. And I just going up and up and up. And, you know, Brother Bob used to talk about you expanding to be eternity big. That is what it feels like. You just expand this big expanding ball of joy. Just, uh, it's, it's an incredible feeling. And the weightlessness and the joy and the expanding, it's just, it's, it's indescribable with words. I can't do it any justice at all. I can just kind of give you a basic outline. So I departed and I went up and up and up. And it was like, it was like someone took a, had a fishing line attached to me and just yanked it. Just it was so fast. And I went up and up and up so far, up and above and beyond. I, could, I didn't see anything. Lord didn't let me see anything, but I could feel it. Like I felt I was going up beyond the galaxies and the universes and everything, above everything. But then it stopped. I only got so far and I stopped. And there was this letdown at the end of it. And there was this regret. If only I had endured a little more. See, I went up. Because my soul was, you know, wasn't in a wicked place, but I wasn't where I could have been. I didn't make it all the way. So even going up, if you do not make it all the way to where the Lord is, you will regret it forever. It's not like it would be a horrible place to be in, but there will be that regret. Yeah. Because you won't be, you won't have the fullness of everything the Lord has for us. Yeah. So we do have to make it to the end. Because what I'm talking about here is eternal habitations. Eternal. These things last forever. Well, one crack at it in this life to get it right. And after that, it's eternal habitations. So we can't be making assumptions about anything. We have to make sure we're actually where we need to be. And here's a key thing on how to do that in verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon or of the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. And I'm going to stop there. You'll see why in a few minutes. So we're to mortify these things. 
What does mortify mean? It means to deaden or to subdue. Now, to deaden something, it means to make it as dead. It doesn't mean to kill outright. It means to make it as dead, to impair in force or vigor, to impair its activity or its sensation, to lessen the force or acuteness, acuteness of something, or to blunt it. So to mortify or to deaden something, it's not the same as to kill it. Though the end result may be the same. A natural example, you got a stereo that's blasting. To kill it, you, know, you push the off button or you pull the plug. To deaden it, you turn the volume knob down. You see the difference? Yeah. There's a process, in other words, there's a process of time and exercising involved to fully accomplishment. I mean, you pull the plug, that's it, it's just, it's done. But you turn that volume knob down, you know, there's a process of time with that. And there's an effort involved with that. But that knob, it can be turned down pretty fast if we're serious about it. Yeah. And you turn it down far enough, the end result is the same. Yeah. The thing is, there's no noise coming out of that thing. So what is Paul talking about here? He says to mortify your members of the earth. Yeah, now these members, that's our fleshly body and its various parts, what he's talking about. They have their own desires, they have their own feelings, and they have their own ways of communicating those desires and feelings. It is our responsibility as members of the body of Christ to learn how to rule over the desires and feelings of our own bodily members so that they do not overrule us. We are to overcome those things. So let's touch on some of these. Dig into them a little bit. So fornication, the first thing on the list here, that's harlotry or prostitution. Unlawful sexual activity conducted out of wedlock including adultery. In a figurative or spiritual sense, it can also refer to idolatry. So basically, yeah, it's unlawful sexual activity out of wedlock. And again, there's a, there's a fleshly drive behind that, that we're to rule over. Now, fornication is like idolatry because they both have that same aspect of breaking wedlock, whether it's a physical wedlock or a spiritual wedlock. And it's done for worldly pleasure or worldly gain. You know, that prostitution in particular that's done for worldly gain, selling the body for money. So that's not to be done. Uncleanness, it's impurity. Something that's not pruned, not purged. It's mixed with extraneous substance, extraneous substances, contaminated or adulterated. Uncleanness is the spiritual state of holding on to worldly things that we are to get rid of and remove completely from our life, from our mind, and from our heart. Again, there's fleshly desires behind these things. Now, when we're to get rid of things, there is a difference between being obedient in it and being willing in it. When a soul is willing to get rid of things, there's an understanding there of why they're bad, why they're harmful, and why they need to get gotten rid of. Obedience, they're just doing it just to because they were told to do it. You may not have the understanding. Now, it is more pleasing to the Lord to have that willingness to actually understand why and how and do it willingly. Uh, but if a soul is at least obedient, they can get the understanding down the road. But if there's not even no obedience, then there's a problem. Inordinate affection. Now, in the proper sense, it actually refers to suffering. It's a passion or a lust 
But in particular, it's a passion. A passion is a state of extreme emotion or feeling. When we speak of the passion of the Christ, he felt things to the extreme going through that. That's why they call it the passion. Now, he's, Paul is not writing about that. What he's writing about here is a fleshly and ungodly state of mind where one has lost self-control and is being ruled entirely by their desires or emotions. That's the passion Paul is writing about here. You know, anger is a big one, being ruled by wrath. You know, sorrow and depression, that can be another one. These these emotions, these desire, these emotions can be positive or negative. You know, wrath, depression, that sort of thing. We consider those to be negative, but there can be an extreme giddiness, giddy happiness that can actually carry people into this state as well. You know, get kind of wound up and start blurting out things that they maybe shouldn't be saying. Yeah, that's that's what's going on here. They're allowing. An, uh, an emotion that may be very pleasurable and positive to overrule them and allow that mouth to uh, have another spirit operating it instead of the Holy Ghost. So it can go both ways. Again, you know, there's a, there's a drive in the flesh behind these things that we are to rule over and override by the spirit. Evil concupiscence. Well, concupiscence is basically lust. It's a longing, especially for what is forbidden. Now, in particular, concupiscence, as a type of lust, it generally refers to sexual lust of a sexual nature. And that word evil basically means it's worthless and harmful. So it's evil concupiscence. Now, note here that it's that longing. It's not a physical act, but it's a desire of one's heart or one's mind. And God, God still views that desire as being um, ungodly. Pornography in particular is spiritually harmful because it feeds this evil concupiscence. It'll actually make it more intense and more difficult to overcome because that pornography, it affects the brain chemistry. There's a feedback mechanism in the body and it actually trains the flesh to expect the gratification from that. So, don't even go down that road in the first place. You'll be far, way farther ahead if anybody's, you know, dealing with that. Mm. Yeah. Just don't even go there in the first place. Mm. And covetousness. There's actually quite a bit here in this one. Now, the word here for covetousness in the English is avarice, which is an excessive or inordinate desire of gain. It's greediness. And by implication, it also includes extortion, or fraud. So gain, that refers to, uh, you know, usually we think of the financial context, money, the love of money. But gain can be anything of worldly advantage. It can be possessions, can be knowledge, you know, for the sake of knowledge. Influence, image, keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, that can be a type of covetousness. Now, I mentioned extortion and fraud. These things go along with that covetousness and that desire for gain. Extortion is the act or practice of wresting anything from a person by force or by threats or by any undue exercise of power. So if we see that behavior going on, somebody's trying to, you know, 
force what they want to be done or to have what they want, you know, or be, you know, threatening certain things to get their way. Yeah, that's covetousness. There's a, there's a greediness and a desire for their own way and their own gain in, in that. Fraud. Fraud is a deception that's deliberately practiced with a view to gaining an unlawful or unfair advantage. There's a deception and there's a, there's a kind of a dissembling or a, even a pretense going on to get leverage over a situation or, again, to get to try and manipulate and work a situation to get one's way. That's also covetousness. So all of these things are listed out here. And we are to mortify those things. There's, these are desires of the flesh. They are to be turned down. They all manifest in different ways. We actually have to look at ourselves and, you know, see if there's any of this going on and turn those things off mm-hmm. to mortify it. So mortify, therefore, your members which are upon or of the earth. They're of the earth because they're these fleshly natures. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is or which are idolatry. I I checked this out in the Greek. That word is, it can be translated as are as well, the plural, the singular or the plural. And if you look at all of these things, they are all manifestations of idolatry. So now the Greek word for idolatry here is image worship, either in a literal sense or in a figurative sense. So how does this apply? Everything that God created in this natural realm, including our natural body and its members, these natural things are a reflection or an image of things in the spiritual realm. So anyone that's demonstrating one or more of those fleshly behaviors that we've talked about, they're worshiping and serving the creature of their own carnal flesh more than the creator. And they're thus engaging in image worship. It's idolatry. So worshiping of one's own flesh, serving it. That image worship is breaking the second of the Ten Commandments in addition to the first one. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. That's Exodus 20, verse 4 and 5. Now that graven image, that's anything that's shaped by the hand of man or by the hand of flesh rather than the hand of God. So anything, you know, all of these things, these are are also works of the flesh in addition to what was listed in Galatians 5. And these are things that we are not to allow ourselves to serve even though the this physical body does have certain desires and things that it wants to do. And we're not to serve those things. We're not to bow down to them. Now, anything, anything that's shaped by the hand of man. Now, we're to worship God and him alone. You know, even in the Old Testament, there was a figure for that. When the children of Israel built altars to God, they were actually required to use natural uncut stones to build those altars. They could not touch them with any kind of tool whatsoever. 
those altars could not be shaped by man in any way. That was just a, a natural figure in the Old Testament for what God wants for us today. Yeah. Our, our work is of the spirit, it's not of the flesh. What's pleasing to God is what's shaped by his hand in the spirit, not what's shaped by the hand of man. All the stuff man has made for himself, God's not impressed with it at all. No. It's all going to perish anyway. Yeah, and how does God feel about these things? Verse 6, for which things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of what? Disobedience. Yeah. That's disobedience if we're, if we're allowing these things to go on in our lives. If you want to know a little more about how God feels about it, you can go ahead and read Romans 1 for yourself. So Paul says to mortify these things, deaden them out. How do we do that? Well, in a nutshell, you do what he said in verse 2 here. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Get your mind geared around the Lord and the things of the Lord, rather than all the stuff down here on planet earth. Again, what are we putting our time into? What are we thinking about? Those are two good questions to, you know, test ourselves with regularly. Let's go over to 1 John 2. And verse 15 reads thus. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'm going to read that again. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'm going to read that again. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So again, this lust comes up. Now there's two kinds of lust named here in verse 16. And they're basically what all lusts boil down to. The lust of the flesh, which is what the natural body desires to indulge in. You know, that fornication, concupiscence, and such like. And the lust of the eyes, what the natural mind desires to possess. That's the covetousness, uncleanness, and such like. That's what all lusts basically boil down to, is those two things what the natural body desires to indulge in, and what the natural mind desires to possess. Now, what Paul wrote back in 1 Corinthians 10.23 about all things being lawful to him, and not, but uh, all things are not expedient, it's pertinent here. Our habits, you know, things that we may be allowed to do, they can become lusts if we're in the habit of gratifying these desires whether of the body or of the mind. Yeah. You, know, you can be in the habit of going to the donut shop every day, getting yourself a donut. We, have a, we all have that freedom if we choose to exercise it. Nothing wrong with going and getting a donut. But if a spirit of gluttony can enter in and you know, there's, a, there's a craving and a desire to always have those donuts all the time and just you know, keep eating them and eating them and can't stop, it's a spirit, yeah. then it becomes a lust. It's no longer just a habit, it's become a lust because it's a gratification of the flesh. That's just a, one natural example. It can go the other way too. We can be in the habit of going to the gym, you know, exercising, keeping ourselves fit and trim. Nothing wrong with looking good and being healthy, being fit. But 
if we're, you know, if that's what we're, our mind is uh, focused on all the time, is having that particular physique and having everything toned up just right and, you know, neglecting the spiritual things. Again, that's gone from being a habit to being a lust. There's a lust for that, that image and that physical fitness. That's actually a pretty big thing out there in the world today. Yeah. Those are just natural examples. So it's good for us to take a look at our habits. You know, even the things we're, you know, allowed to do and, you know, are harmless. Make sure we're not getting off track with them. Yeah. And that applies with our hobbies, our personal preferences and our schedules and all, our other, all that other stuff too. All the natural stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Where is our focus? Yeah. Now, there's something else listed here with these lusts. The pride of life. Now, this literally means the braggadocio and boasting of this present existence. This is named here along with these lusts because it's lust's reward in this life. Those that give themselves over to these lusts, that's their reward in this life. They get to brag about it and boast about it. And that's about it in this life. Um, I will say this, uh, social media platforms are specifically designed to cater to that mindset. Yeah. Look at me, look what I'm doing. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Now there is a reward in the next life for this as well. I'll give you another personal example. A number of years ago, I was, uh, I think I was still in college at the time. I just uh, went into a sandwich shop and ordered a sandwich. And uh, I was just sitting there eating, eating my sandwich. And uh, one of my classmates from high school walked in and, um, you know, started conversing. And this guy, he was never really the sharpest tool in the shed, so to speak. And, you know, he's just a natural guy. I never had any, anything against him or for him, really. Didn't really associate with him much. But um, you just kind of, you know, you, you do your little conversation. You catch up, you know, what he'd been doing, all this stuff. You know, haven't seen you for a couple of years. But then he starts going off about um, this nurse he was seeing at the hospital. And he's, he starts boasting and bragging about, you know, the, all the sexual stuff he's doing with this woman. Not married to her at all. Just, and he's just boasting about it. And, you know, I was a little younger at the time. I didn't, I was just kind of taken aback. Like, why are you just sitting here bragging, shooting off about all this? I mean, just didn't hit me right, right? You know? And um, he's going on for a minute or two with this. And I could feel the Lord being offended by it. The Holy Ghost in me. And as he continued, I could feel the anger start coming up. The Lord was displeased with this. I was literally opening, just opening my mouth to say something. This guy jumped up, said, okay, I got to go see ya. And he just runs out the door. And I thought, that was really odd. Just comes in, sits down, shoots off about, you know, his, his, his filth, and then just up and runs off again. I thought, well, that's really odd. And I, and I kind of kicked myself, you know, why didn't I just say something sooner and stop him and whatever. But there was actually a judgment that came upon that soul because of, you know, the spiritual state he was in. The Lord, the Lord had occasion against him. It wasn't long after that, I heard a report this young, this young man, he was only in his early 20s, wasn't very old. Uh, he was out mud bogging in 4 by 4 with his friends. Um, and like I said, he wasn't the brightest bulb in the chandelier. And uh, 
He may have been drunk too, I don't remember the specific details. But anyway, he's on the back, he jumps on the tailgate of this pickup that's going through the mud and he's riding around on it. And this truck starts going backwards. He jumps on the tailgate and he's riding on this truck as it's going backwards through the mud. Think about that for a second. Truck hits a bump, he falls off, truck goes over top of him. The report I got was he wrapped around the drive shaft about two or three times, died at the scene, just mangled him. He died a fool's death. And that was the judgment that came on him, not just for the sinful life that he was living, but the fact that he sat down in front of the Holy Ghost and boasted on it. That was where the Lord really had occasion against that soul, was this pride of life, this boasting. Yeah. So it's not just like a little add-on here with this other stuff. It's equally as deadly to the human soul. Yeah. Really offended the Lord. So there's lust reward in this life, and there's lust reward in the next life. Verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. This all passes away. There's lust reward in the next life. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Yeah. We get all the way to where he is. There's our reward. We abide forever with him. If we want something that is real and that is going to last, that's how we get it. We do the will of God. And James had something to say about that. James 1 verse 22. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving or deluding your own selves. There are three ways a person's belief can go. They can go into faith, sincerely trusting God, believing his word, and doing his will. Or they can go into unbelief, not trusting God, or believing his word, or doing his will. Or the third option, they can go into delusion thinking they have it when they really don't. That's a religious spirit. And delusion is really just unbelief with a religious veneer masking it. So there's actually just two ways a person's belief can go. Faith or unbelief. Yeah. Delusion is just a type of unbelief. Just got a religious spirit covering it. So just assuming that we are spiritually good to go is not faith. It's delusion. Faith without works is dead. James wrote that in chapter 2 of his epistle. He also wrote that we can show our faith by our works. And guess what he was writing about? Obedience to the will of God. Faith and obedience go together. That's why he says we have to do, not just hear. Doing is that obedience. Doing the will of God. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, or in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So, we can take an occasional, superficial look at ourselves, and assume that we're doing fine. But this does not accomplish anything useful, because it's superficial. We can also have the Lord point things out to us that we need to overcome. But if we become spiritually forgetful and do not deal with them, or do not continue in overcoming them, we will get nowhere spiritually. One thing the Lord showed me you know, a number of years ago is that our walk 
It's a lot like going up the down escalator. You walk, as long as you're stepping up that thing, you will make progress. You'll keep going, you'll, you'll, you'll have that pace going upwards against that constant drive that's downwards. As soon as you stop stepping, that thing's gonna carry you right back down to the bottom. Yeah. The other thing about that stepping is there is a pace that we need to keep up in order to get ahead of it too. So we can't be slothful in that walk either. That if the escalator is going this fast and we're only going this fast, guess what? The net motion is actually still backwards. Yeah, yeah. So we have to have that proper pace with the Lord, keep up with them, and don't stop stepping. Keep moving. Keep overcoming. Yeah. Like James says here in verse 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall, that's a promise, shall be blessed in his deed. Yeah, be blessed in the things you do as unto the Lord. So we have to look into that perfect law of liberty. In other words, we have to know the word and know what God requires of us and continue in it. Regular and deep, not occasional superficial, regular and deep self-examination is a healthy spiritual habit. When we take that honest look in the mirror, and it does have to be an honest look. Sometimes we're going to look in the mirror and, you know, we may see things that are not so pretty. I've had to do that myself. Yeah. We all have to do it. But we take, we, we you know, undergird gird up ourselves in the spirit and take that honest look, recognize what's actually staring at us. Then we know, then we know what we've got to deal with and overcome if there's any problems there. Yeah. But it has to be that honest look in the mirror. But when we do that, we're comparing our spiritual state to the standard that the Lord has set for us. This word, this book, that's the standard that he set for us. And when we're looking in that mirror, it brings those things to mind. We keep in mind the things that we need to guard against, the things we need to work on, the things we need to overcome, rather than forgetting about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to be forgetful on, on them. Continue in overcoming these things. This is a large part of why that fivefold ministry is so important, because it's the means by which the Lord points these things out to us, and it's the means by which He gives us the spiritual equipment needed to deal with them. We have those apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to give us the word, you know, give us instruction, encouragement. And when you're part of a body ministry, it's like the proverb says, iron sharpeneth iron. Yeah. We rub off on each other and those exterior pieces that you know, don't need to be there, they get knocked off, polished off. Yeah. It's not always comfortable, but it is what the Lord gave for us to do and to have. Yeah. So let's go over to 1 John 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. The flesh might think they're grievous because the flesh has its own desires and what it wants to do, but they're not grievous for the human soul. They're actually quite the opposite. Keep us from damnation, from torment. You know, preaching might be rough sometimes, but hell's a lot rougher. Mm -hmm. The word of God is the standard that the Lord has set for us to meet. When we are keeping his commandments, when we're doing his commandments, we are not only meeting his standard, 
we are also demonstrating that we truly love him. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. That's how we demonstrate that we love God. Keep his commandments. Guess what? We'll also be demonstrating that we love his children, that we love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. But you do have to know the commandments, what they are, to do that. That's why we have, that's why we have the word to refer to. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Trust God, we believe his word, and we do his will. That's our faith. So in a nutshell, to walk as a member of the body of Christ is to be an overcomer. Not only over Satan and his worldly influences, but also over our own fleshly nature. Because that fleshly nature is what Satan targets to exert his influence. We have to rule over that. We have to rule over this flesh. And we obtain great and eternal promises from God when we do this, when we are overcomers. I'll read a number of the promises out here that the Lord has made to us when we overcome. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Yeah. Eternal life. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. We won't be going down when we leave this body. We'll be going up all the way. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Yeah. He'll remake us to a new person and a new creature. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. Yeah, that's the authority over the flesh and any other flesh that would try to rise up against us. And I will give him the morning star, the one that shines first and brightest before all others. He's actually talking of himself there. You'll have me forever. That's what he's saying. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. We'll have that purity instead of uncleanness. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. See, we'll be on record with the Lord. It's having that good conversation. We'll have that testimony. Him that overcometh, him that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. Will be a support to others. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I'll write upon him my new name. Again, we're made a new creature, and we're called after his name as sons and daughters, not illegitimate bastards. We're legitimate in his eyes. Mm -hmm. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father, in his throne. There's the reward, folks. We overcome. We do what the Lord requires of us to do. We have our heart and our mind set on him instead of on the things on this earth. There's a reward. We get to be where he is throughout eternity. That's all I have for today. Lord bless you and keep you. I love you. Bye for now. 
Wasn't that incredible? That message from Corey is awesome. Uh, please do yourself a favor if you'd like, go to getyourloveon.org. Every show is archived there. That was a lot of meat that was given out. And so if you'd like to review today's show or prior shows, please do that at getyourloveon.org. Road to righteousness tends to be long. So keep your love on, on. Crack yourself a smile or sing a song. But I keep my love on. Man or woman, man or woman who is so down, try. Keep your love on, on. Sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the one true God Keep your love on Keep your love on, child Let it shine bright Bright, bright Keep your love on, 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 on Don't let it die, don't let it die, don't let it die, no Don't let it die, let me tell you why right now 